You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Last week, the sound of frustration, anger, and anxiety from within Shanghai echoed around the world as 25 million people contemplated another week of lockdown. The screams from these people in a Shanghai apartment building carried over the Great Firewall of China, and were rebroadcast by news channels across the world. For one half of Shanghai, it is now 21 days since they were told they're going into a five-day lockdown to stop the spread of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. For the other half. It's closer to 40 days of lockdown, food shortages, and people taken away to quarantine facilities after they were marked as close contacts of the more than 400,000 people who have tested positive to COVID since March. And while last week it was the screams of Shanghainese people traveling from Chinese social media to Twitter and YouTube. This week, it's not so much the sound, but the images showing the cracks appearing in China's dynamic zero-COVID strategy. This is the sound of Shanghai residents fighting in the streets with health and security officers dressed in white PPE suits. And it's not just on the streets of Shanghai society where the cracks in China's zero COVID strategy are opening up. After weeks of claiming not one single person had died in the Shanghai Omicron outbreak, this week authorities have begun announcing there have been fatalities. As I speak to you, the official count is less than 10 people officially dead from COVID-19. More and more questions are being asked about this number. Meanwhile, off the coast of Shanghai's container port, the busiest port in the world, there are now more than 300 ships waiting to offload their cargo or pick up finished goods for export to the world. And over the weekend, this statement was made by a senior official in Shanghai. The State Council Working Group, the Municipal Party Committee, and municipal government have asked that the turning point of the epidemic should appear on the 17th. And that zero COVID status should be reached on the 20th. This is a military order. There is no room for bargaining. We can only grit our teeth and fight for victory. It can also be said this is a total attack, a last-ditch battle to reverse the trend of the epidemic. As I speak to you today, it's Wednesday, the 20th of April. Last week, we spoke about Shanghai being at a turning point. This week. It's beginning to look more like a breaking point. Welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick. I'm a reporter for the China desk of the South China Morning Post, working from home here in Hong Kong. In this episode, we're going back to Shanghai to hear from one of my colleagues for an update on life in the Pusi District and how fear and anger is turning to protest and dissent. 
We're going to hear from an economics professor from the Shanghai branch of New York University about what comes next for the world economy when the Shanghai port is no longer functioning at full speed. And we're going to hear from a senior colleague of mine on the China desk about the political impact of Shanghai's ongoing crisis. Shanghai has for decades been the stepping stone for China's most senior Politburo officials. In fact, back in 2007, the Communist Party secretary for Shanghai was none other than Xi Jinping. Where is he as this crisis plays out, and what impact will this have on his plan for an historic third term as China's president later this year? Thomas Yao is our video journalist in Shanghai, and he continues to file stories from inside the Puxi district. Thomas, how are you holding up? Um, okay, uh, although uh, kind of uh, it's getting on my nerve, really, uh, the lockdown. Thomas, how are you actually doing your job these days? Because you're basically confined to your own apartment, and you know how many times have you get tested? Are you、um, able to interact with your neighbors? That kind of thing. Can you tell us more about your life? I can't get out to film, so mostly、uh, whatever happens outside of my window,、uh, I'll see what I can、uh, do. Also, these days,、uh, my pieces are more about explaining the issues instead of like filing visual materials. Because, well, I can't go out and film,、um, and also sourcing uh, materials uh, on mainland social media and verify them before posting them. And then, strangely, like half the, like a significant amount of your days、uh, of my day is. Really focusing on、uh, the supply situation. You know, you do a quick check every morning to see、uh, what you are going to run out. I think yesterday I traded three green chilies with some sugar because we are running out of sugar. And think about what you're going to eat today, so that they take up a significant amount of your day because you can't order delivery anymore. And doing dishes, yeah. <laughs> so, what's the latest from your compound? Are people getting enough food?、Um, I think food-wise, is everyone's getting enough.、Uh, there are some、uh, government handouts, although they're just noodles and rice. But、uh, I think they're enough to keep you alive. But、uh, you want some、uh, guilty pleasures like a can of Coke, like a cake, a piece of cake.、Uh, then you have to figure out a way to get get them, and then. Uh, in terms of testing, I'm supposed to get tested from Monday to Wednesday, nonstop. But you know, the neighborhood association seems to be, you know, a little bit, I don't know, relaxed or just, or they don't care anymore. It's just, you know, they said in the WeChat group saying that, oh, you need to get tested. But、uh, I think yesterday, no one said anything. Yeah, about the neighborhood committees.、Um, last week, you told us that、uh, there was this、uh, growing anger against them. So, what is the general mood of your neighbors now? I think they're just frustrated because、uh, they keep finding、uh, positive cases in my compound. And I think the lockdown last week we talked to you. The lockdown was supposed to lift on twenty eighth of April. Now it has been extended to second of May. People are starting to ask the question. Oh, okay, we are getting tested every day, and that test positive cases every day. And 
and uh, some of my neighbors showed me, showed me a photo of the front gates of our complex. It's just like piles of medical waste <laughs> piling up on the gates, in front of the gates. But then on the other side is the food we just ordered. So we were like, okay, how are you supposed to achieve zero COVID when the, the food is so close to the medical waste? Uh, so I think that's growing frustration, but then people also know there's really very little that the, uh, the neighborhood committee or the neighborhood association can do in this moment. So they, they're not angered, they're just frustrated. What kind of medical waste are they like? Used masks? Um, used rapid tests? I think most likely they are the protective clothing, uh, Q-tips from the PCR test, although there's also chances that those are the daily household waste from the apartments with positive cases because they just don't have the ability to send everyone into the quarantine sites uh, these days. So they have to isolate themselves at home, but then you know those, are, those waste are supposed to be contaminated. I hope they are not. Thomas, part of your job is to monitor and verify videos on um, Chinese social media. And we're seeing more and more videos getting out of Shanghai, you know, images of angry people brawling with security and health officials on the streets. Can you tell us about this? Yes, I think uh, there are more and more uh, violent scenes of uh, security or the so-called volunteers scuffling with you know, people with various issues. Sometimes it's just they want to get out to get some food. Sometimes they just, you know, they had enough of the lockdown. They just want to go and have a walk. Sometimes it's about, you know, uh, a patient wanting to go to the hospitals. I think the increasing footage that you're seeing coming out of Shanghai is because as the lockdown is progressing, uh, my guess is people are running low on supplies, on medication. So there's actually increasing need of people wanting to get out. So that's why you see those footages. And strangely, sometimes you don't have to do too much work to verify this video because in a few days, the uh, local official media will publish a so-called clarification saying that, oh, this is what happened, this is what happened, you know. Um, I think a few days ago, there was uh, a woman who says uh, the authorities asked uh, Sarah Locksmith to pick the door lock of her 90-year-old grandmother because she tested positive. But obviously, when you're 90-year-old, you don't want to, uh, your, a 90-year-old to be sent to uh, quarantine sites. And then the granddaughter says, oh, they take her lock and they get inside her apartments and take her away against her will. Uh, people say, oh, is this real? And then two days later, the local media says, oh, it is real. They, they did send a locksmith. They did go inside. They reasoned with the old lady and uh, she got sent to the quarantine sites with uh, lots of medical care. So this is what happens in Shanghai these days. What about those images inside quarantine facilities? There are roofs that are leaking, dirty shared bathrooms. What are people saying about this in the WeChat groups? Um, I think that's just a general, initially it was shock. And then surprisingly, there's not so much anger or frustration directed at those things. Although, yeah, I do see a lot of images of like portable toilets like with, you know, human feces, uh, you know, piling up and 
I mean, you can all you can you you can measure that, right? So, I mean, a few thousand people cram into space, and then uh, I think the medics actually had has to be like a plumber themselves to clean up the toilets. There's some reports of that. So, but surprisingly, it's not enough chatter. But I think it's just a surface, uh, kind of a warning to people uh, that they don't want to get infected. There was mention on Twitter recently of the efforts to delete lists claiming to be of people who have died of COVID-19, but had the cost of death attributed to something else. And there were also images of hand-painted banners being put up on the streets. Can you tell us about this? Um, I think a while ago, there's like a, a sort of a online uh, spreadsheet that try to document uh, people put in. Like uh, my grandfather died because she he had a stroke and he couldn't go to the hospital and he died. There's like a kind of a public efforts to sort of document uh, those deaths. And I think even if they deleted delete those uh, spreadsheets, they they people are still doing that. They're still doing that. And um, as for the banners, uh, a few days ago there was. Uh, some photos circulating on WeChat uh, that some banners were hung on Huasan Road in Shanghai. If you translate those banners, it's, it kind of reads like people are dying no to unlimited uh, lockdowns. And then there's also some, like a brief list of people who, who died because of the lockdown measures, like the nurse in Eastern Hospital and all that. And I saw like... Uh, in on Weibo, a person claiming to be that person's friend, saying that well, he's been arrested. So, but I think that's just like it, it just shows the growing anger and desperation and frustration of the Chinese people towards this lockdown. And I think these days, Chinese West space is uh, filled with uh, people's anger and frustrations over the lockdown measures. Thomas, how are you gonna spend the rest of your day? Um, figuring how to invent more recipes with cabbage and carrots, and then work. Yeah, that's the spirit, Thomas. Thank you very much, and we wish you all the best from Hong Kong. Okay, take care, guys. Right now, world media attention is focused on the people of Shanghai and the people locked inside their homes. But others are noticing something else happening just off the coast. The Shanghai Container Port sits at the mouth of the Yangtze River and connects overseas shipping with China's agricultural and industrial heartland. It is the busiest port in the world. About 2,000 ships load and unload there every month and it's responsible for one quarter of all cargo traffic in mainland China. If you think the Shanghai lockdown is only affecting the people who live there, meet someone who has some news for you. Uh, my name is Rodrigo Zaidan. Um, I'm a Brazilian. I teach at New York University in Shanghai, NYU Shanghai. Professor Rodrigo Zaidan is an associate professor of practice in business and finance with New York University, NYU, in its Shanghai campus. He specializes in finance and sustainable development and is the author of a book titled Economics of Global Finance. 
Professor Sudan and his family have been in lockdown since March 24th, but he says he is fine, and there are others we should be worrying about. The people suffering with this lockdown are the poor, the vulnerable, the migrant workers, those that um, maybe have to share a room with, with different people that they are there just to work and send some money home. It's not the, the, the faculty members from an, an American institution, a Sino-American institution. They live in a nice apartment in, in Shanghai. So uh, comparatively, we're doing well. A couple of days ago, Professor Sudan posted two images on Twitter. One was a GPS data image of how many container ships were off the coast of Shanghai port right now. The other was a graph showing the yearly average of how many ships are normally waiting to get into the Shanghai port versus how many there are waiting right now. Normally, there's about 100 container ships anchored off Shanghai. That number has now tripled. There are more than 300 container ships waiting to load or unload even though the Shanghai port is still operating 24 hours a day. Of course, what happens is that the lockdown is being taken seriously. So workers that are in communities that have cases, they are locked down. Truckers that are in communities that, are, that have cases are locked down and they are not allowed to go and work. The main result is that that reduces the port capacity. And that's what we've been seeing in Shanghai. That's also what we have seen in Nimbo in the past, um, I reduce port capacity, right? Some companies are trying to solve this by having closed loop production and some port uh, authorities are trying to do some closed loop services as well. People that would go uh, help load and unload uh, ships and they wouldn't allow to go home until the period of lockdown eases. So you have temporary accommodations People are paid over time, sometimes quite substantial uh, amounts to stay on work. But even with all of these temporary measures, port capacity goes down. There is no other way. Like the, 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 the city of Shanghai is not, uh, is not working at full capacity, it's not working anywhere near full capacity. So the port is not able to work at full capacity. And that's, again, that is going to create even more logistical log gems in the world. The old saying used to be, if America sneezes, the world catches cold. In the age of global supply chains, if there's a logistical log jam in Shanghai, what happens to the consumer goods Americans and Europeans want to buy? This will put upward pressures on uh, tradable goods. This upward pressure was already happening, right? Inflation has been running at an all-time high in Europe um, and America, and this should continue for a while. And again, this is only tradable goods, right? Inflation is much more than tradable goods. It's also about services, um, in, and freight is only part of costs. So it's also, I don't want to uh, sound apocalyptic, because that is also not true. Like this, this, this helps bring some upward pressure on prices, but this is not something that by itself will cause major global inflation. That is not the case. It's not just about whether the latest iPhone or Nike sneakers are going to cost you more to buy. There's a tiny piece of technology that's of major concern in this supply chain lockjam. 
right now the main the main issue globally is the semiconductor industry. A lot of the upward pressure on prices, a lot of global inflation. If I'm not mistaken, the car industry in the US by itself is responsible for 25% of the inflation in the US in 2021 and 2022. And most of it is because the car industry cannot produce cars to its capacity because they don't have access to um, electronic chips, semiconductors. And that is where this may become a global issue. Of course, Shanghai is not necessarily the only or the main port through which semiconductors travel globally, but certainly uh, some components do go to Shanghai and this logjam will make the situation or any hope of normalization will be postponed a little bit. Factories and retailers around the world have become used to the just-in-time infantry system. But Professor Sedan is not prepared to forecast economic doom for the world just yet. There are two dimensions on this issue. One is that this seems like an unsolvable problem, right? Uh, the port capacity will not resume to normal very soon. So how come, how can supply chains adapt? What people don't realize is that companies are much more agile than people give them credit for. For instance, uh, of course, some production can, some, some transportation can move to other ports in China. They might also get locked down. But you can create capacity in other areas of the world, right? And that's what companies are doing right now. What companies are doing right now are especially companies that have global operations. They are the largest companies. They are like, they're ramping up productions in certain parts of the world and to account for situations like this. That will soften the blow from supply chain issues from the lockdowns in China. So we have to consider that as well. The fact that companies around the world are adapting in real time to any news that comes from China. It's not like, it's not a static problem. Let's say the Shanghai, the Shanghai port stops completely. It's not going to happen. But even if it happens, it is not an unsolvable issue globally because companies can adapt somewhat to this. And that's what is going to eventually bring normalcy to supply chains. What you mentioned in terms of, of just-in-time will be less just-in-time. So companies will build more inventories. And to do that, you're going, you're, you need to ramp up production and that is already happening in some parts of the world. And this is what he thinks of the suggestion that foreign companies based in Shanghai are rethinking their operations and planning on leaving. Leaving? Nah. That is, that may be, sure, but that is, that is unlikely in the short term. You don't abandon investments like this, especially if they are like, again, investment decisions are long-term decisions. If you have a factory, that you believe is going to make you money for 20 years is not going to be two or three months 
of logistical issues, they are going to make you change an investment decision, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work like that. Maybe it does. Maybe with some companies in the margin, that may happen. Companies that were already on the fence about stay, staying in Shanghai, that may drive their decision, but not, not, overall, not overall, no. William Zheng is a senior correspondent with the China Desk. We've heard the people in apartment towers screaming. We've seen the videos of brawls between angry residents and security and health officials. William, is there any indication that the government in Shanghai is taking on the concerns of residents? Certainly. I believe that uh, Shanghai government officials has been looking at all these complaints, but the ability to address them is another issue, right? Uh, from what I've heard, there has been uh, ongoing meetings trying to address all these uh, livelihood issues. But the, the problem is Shanghai has been a very commercial city. Suddenly thrown 25 million people into a lockdown and the commercial companies which uh, has been doing a proper logistic and uh, fresh food supply to the city suddenly frozen. And the vacuum is much, much larger than other cities, let's say, uh, say smaller cities like in Fujian and uh, in other part of China. So the main issue is how can Shanghai mobilize enough resources to replace the market mechanism, which is totally out of the picture now. And Shanghai being the most market-oriented city in mainland China, and that vacuum is very, very hard to fill. So um, I, I believe Shanghai's uh, officials are scratching their head now, and there got to be complaints here and there because they can't do uh, 100%. But overall, uh, from what I check with my Shanghai friends, they say, number one, they are seeing slightly more food to be provided to the household now. Number two, some of the hospitals, which many people complain about uh, all the hospitals are out of action. Uh, some of the hospitals, at least four to five, are reopening to take care of the medical emergencies and uh, the people with chronic illnesses and all that. So I would say they are taking steps towards people's concern. But again, when you suddenly stop 25 million people city from working and relying on the government officials to supply these people or their daily necessities. There's got to be huge imbalances in, in such a scenario. So uh, what I would say is while Shanghai will make a lot of promises, the government will make a lot of promises, but we are sure that we are going to hear continued complaints because the market is no longer there. This is a huge lesson to be learned where you are you are going to throw a place where that's quite well driven by market. But if you take away the market, this is what you see. It, this is like a war scenario, right? And uh, obviously uh, many of the government officials are not, not prepared for, for such scenarios. 
What have been the political repercussions? Last week, we heard from our colleague Thomas Yao that the local neighborhood committees are facing the burnt of anger from residents. Is there any evidence that Beijing is bringing the pressure to fix this crisis? The evidence is quite clear. Vice Premier Sun Chunlan, who is the top COVID uh, official in China, uh, has flew in from Jilin in, in quite a rush to to came into Shanghai to address all the concerns. And because she is the vice premier, she can coordinate with other provinces to mobilize the national resources like uh, medical personnel, uh, fresh food supplies, and transport capabilities to supply Shanghai. But that took a while. So is there any evidence? Yes, Beijing is is having a very grave concern on, on Shanghai because this is uh, China's biggest commercial city and financial center. Not to mention that there are lots of Western companies having already set up their uh, manufacturing plants in Shanghai, including Tesla. And Beijing is, of course, worried. That's why Premier Sun Chenlan is, uh, is at Shanghai for a very long time. And uh, she continues to appear on Shanghai uh, official media every day with Shanghai Party Secretary Li Qiang, where both of them have at least one interview every day to talk about how they are going to address Shanghai's concerns, while the priority is still control the pandemic, make sure uh, Shanghai achieve a dynamic zero COVID results. So meanwhile, they also uh, try to comfort the people, telling them, uh, we are doing things, we will try to supply you. Of course, the grassroots officials, like the one in the resident committees, the so-called Jiu Hui, are going to face the music from the uh, residents who had enjoyed one of the highest living standards in China. And suddenly you throw them into a de facto detention right at their home so uh, th- this is uh, this is a huge gap to be felt so uh, of course when the grassroots are facing this you have seen that some of the grassroots officials actually throwing their letters resignation letters saying that no no this is more than what, what I can do right this is too big a shoe that I can fit in and uh, goodbye but in fact some of the residents it understood the kind of drastic change facing them. And uh, the grassroots is actually very ill-equipped with such a job change. Uh, It requires the top to mobilize more resources at their disposal so that they they can replace the huge market machines Right. I pity the residents and I also pity the local uh, grassroots officials who worked uh, day and night, but they just, they just don't seem to be able to uh, find a way to perform better than the market. Of course, we also hear stories about uh, some grassroots officials who, who actually worked with companies who stock up fresh food supplies and uh, to sell it to the residents at high price, right? At least two of them were caught. And uh, I think they are going to face very harsh punishments. Shanghai doesn't just have the biggest population of any Chinese city. It's the most international and also the most economically powerful. Can you tell us about the role Shanghai plays as a stepping stone into the top ranks of the Politburo and China's Communist Party? Uh, Shanghai has been a very unique place where in a communist-ruled uh, country, 
uh, Shanghai is still maintained its uh, commercial identity, and uh, uh, without a doubt, it uh, it has rebuilt itself into China's commercial and financial center since uh, the opening up for Deng Xiaoping. Shanghai has been a very important power base in China politics. That basically came with, uh, first of all, its economic might and uh, its financial might. And after Deng Xiaoping, uh, the Communist Party seems to want to make sure that whoever came to run China, especially uh, taking care of the uh, economic portfolio as a vice premier or premier, must have some uh, experiences in Shanghai because that's the place where you you have uh, uh, first-hand experiences with China's red-hot economy. And not to mention our uh, current President Xi Jinping, right? He was uh, Shanghai Party Secretary before. And uh, basically everyone after Jiang Zemin, except Chen Liangyu, has made it to the top. It shows that Shanghai has been a very important launch pad. Well, let's talk about Xi Jinping and Shanghai. Two years ago, we saw Xi Jinping traveling to different regions of China to add support for local residents and authorities in the pandemic. Has he made any particular statement about Shanghai in the past weeks? Not in the public, but I I believe there would be regular calls because Shanghai Party Secretary used to be his former chief of staff in Zhejiang. So they are very close. I I believe uh, probably he had given some calls to Li Chang to check on the progress. And uh, of course, Vice Premier Sun Chunlan will have her usual updates to the Politburo Standing Committee. That's usual job requirement, right? Uh, to file reports to the to the bosses. Usually, President Xi will not go to the front line of COVID control. Well, people read it as like, uh, is he want to avoid the viruses and all this? But I don't think so, actually. He could have gone gone in. But the problem is the the fact that he goes to the front line will cause more havoc, more problems because all the security apparatus and it will create additional disturbance to the already very tense COVID situation there. You mentioned pandemic control was one of Xi Jinping's three major achievements. And in September 2020, at an awards ceremony, he announced China's victory in suppressing the virus. But now with more and more cities going into some sort of lockdowns, does this damage Xi himself politically? Uh, The COVID situation is starting to, to bite. But I don't think that's uh, going to be uh, uh, that's going to have a major or uh, fundamental impact on him. As so far, I think his third term set to be quite uh, sure. But of course, many people has raised the question of, can we do it better? Of course, there's there's ways to improve it. But what I see is very differently where many people are talking about how the national model of doing things is helping China's COVID fight, where the Communist Party has been boasting about its capability of mobilizing the national resources to resolve one issue or one problem in one place. And that's something that the Western countries uh, cannot do. 
and we have been doing it very successfully. But in in Shanghai, this model is tested, and again, market is more efficient in handling all these issues. Number one, number two. Uh, drastically re- uh, withdrawing all the market mechanisms, which has been running very well, is going to create a huge problem for people. And that's a key lesson in front of everyone. So many of my friends uh, who have been discussing about this say that, uh, number one, are we, are we sure that we want to return to plant economy? Of course not, right? That's a, that would create the same disaster that we are seeing now. This is basically the, a de facto planned economy where the resident uh, resident committee have the say on who have more potatoes, right? And uh, previously, uh, it's, a, it's a much more efficient market economy where people, you have higher price and people will have higher incentives to send you the goods and you, you can check out the supply. So that's one very important uh, reminder of China's direction. Shall we go back to planned economy? No, obviously not. But if you say the impact on President Xi's uh, political succession, possible if uh, Shanghai Party Secretary's uh, promotion to Beijing will be delayed or or it never happened. You mentioned the Party Congress. There is a huge amount of speculation about how the situation in Shanghai is going to affect this major political event in Beijing later this year. It's where she is expected to be given an historic third term as president and party chief. What are your sources telling you about this? When you talk to those people who are not in China, they will probably tell you that, oh, the situation looks grim. But you talk to people in the mainland, people will tell you that, of course, he's he's, um, having a sure third term. But I tend to believe that uh, the third term is unshakable until now, and uh, it's very sure that he's going to have his third term. The bigger problem is he can't run the show himself. He needs a whole team to run China. And uh, he needs a group of people to run the economics, right? Uh, to, to run the economy, to run the diplomacy, military, and the security apparatus to manage the COVID as uh, Vice Premier Sun Junlan has already passed the retirement age. She is still standing there running from province to province to be China's probably most busy firefighter now. So who can fill in her shoe? That's that's another uh, important question. So the composition of the team or the formation of the team is what we are most concerned. It's going to be a major reshuffling this year. We, we can be sure that she will have his third term, but uh, who is going to play what role in his uh, third term will be a major question going forward. William, there's a lot more to come on this as uh, Xi Jinping looks to renew and refresh his cabinet and Shanghai remains in crisis. We look forward to reading your analysis on scmp.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Holly. The crisis continues in Shanghai and so does our reporting and analysis. Thomas Yao and all of my colleagues in the Shanghai Bureau of the South China Morning Post are still filing stories and analysis at scmp.com. 
You can see the video stories Thomas is filing on our website, on our YouTube channel, or at the SCMP Facebook page. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at SCMP News. My name is Holly Chick. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay in touch. Bye for now.